Some of you here this morning are probably hurting in some way. Maybe you're hurting emotionally because of problems with a, a son or a daughter where things just aren't going as you would like for them to go. Maybe you're, maybe you're a husband or a wife who's hurting and experiencing pain because of marital problems. Uh, just Marriage just isn't going the way that you had envisioned it going. Or maybe you're just someone who's experiencing physical pain, uh, aches and pains each and every morning, chronic pains, the pain that just won't go away. Uh, and it's just, uh, it gets to you after a while, amen? I don't know what it is that you're hurting from, but I know that uh, a number of you here are hurting this morning in some way. Sometimes we try to hide the fact that we're hurting. Uh, we don't tell anyone that we're hurting. Uh, when we ask one another how we're doing, we're saying, I'm doing okay. But deep down, sometimes we're hurting. And if we're not hurting now, you can certainly reflect back on a time when you experienced a great deal of pain, emotionally and physical pain in your life. It doesn't take long for you to pinpoint those specific moments in your life that you hurt a great deal. One thing pain does and does well is it gets our attention. Amen? I can tell that by the way some of you are looking at me this morning. I mentioned pain and everybody's attention is forward. I like what C.S. Lewis said about pain. He stated that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And pain does a, a great job of, of doing that. It does a great job of getting our attention. Uh, when we're hurting emotionally or physically, it, it's natural for us to focus completely on ourselves. Uh, for some of us, it's difficult for us to even hear a message from God unless it has something to do with our pain. Unless it's, unless it's going to give us some relief from our pain, we're subject to not listen to the message or to the word of God. And so rather than being concerned with the lost or even our brothers and sisters in Christ, we become consumed by our own issues. Although we may not always know the reason for our pain, God's word reveals to us that our pain is often used by God to not only draw us closer to him, but he also uses our pain as a way to reach the lost. I want to make sure you understand that. God does not only use our pain to draw us closer to him, he also uses our pain, our issues, our struggles that we go through as a way to reach the lost. God uses our pain that occurs from us living in a broken world to help reconcile sinners back to himself. Only God can do that. Take that which is broken to reach those who are broken and save some. If you're not in Christ or if Shall I say, if you are in Christ, your pain is not in vain. While we may not always see the purpose or, or understand the reason 
that we go through our pain. We need to, to trust in God, that trust that there's a greater purpose in our pain. Because quite often when we're enduring pain, that's one of the main things that we want to know is why am I going through this? But we can know that and we see through scripture time and time again from Genesis to Revelations that God always He's always doing something through our pain. And our pain is not in vain. And, and so quite often that purpose points back to the mission God has given the church to share the good news. To the world. I want to talk to you this morning from the message, Helping When You Hurt. You will see that God can do the miraculous work of using your pain to help others come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And for some of you, maybe that's not enough. That's not a, a, a good enough answer in regards to your pain. But there's no greater privilege than to be used by God to reach the lost. In heaven, God takes note of one who goes and seeks the lost in spite of their pain. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 16, and you can remain seated because it, it's quite a, a lengthy read. I want to I go through for the sake of the context of the passage. So Acts chapter 16, we'll, we'll start at verse uh, 6 through 36, focusing probably primarily on verse 16 through 36. So Acts chapter 16, verse 6. When you have it, say amen. And the word of God reads, And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mashiach, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a sailor of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that, her hope, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joining in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fire, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. Helping when you hurt. In this passage, we see Paul begins his second missionary journey. He's concluded the first missionary journey, and they're in Asia, uh, and, and Paul and, and, and some others are there preaching the gospel or looking to preach the gospel. But we see in the beginning, verses 6 through 8, it says that they were forbidden to to preach the gospel. They were forbidden to speak the word in Asia. So I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but for some reason, uh, the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the gospel in Asia. And it tells us that uh, the Holy Spirit, they had come across a vision, a vision of a man in Macedonia calling for help. And that vision was God's way of telling Paul that the people in that area in Macedonia, what we know as Europe, needed the gospel to be preached to them. So Paul, along with Silas and, and Timothy and, and, and Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts and also the, the, the book, the gospel of Luke, we see them all set sail for Macedonia. And the first thing we see in this is that God calls us to help those who are lost. And the way he does that is by us using us to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Us being a witness for Christ. Everything starts with Paul and the others recognizing and seeing that they have a mission to help. And that help comes by way of the gospel. No other way. The vision says we need help. And immediately they know that the only way, the main way, the primary way that they could help is by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Help was needed then and help is even needed now to rescue people from the penalty of their sins. 
There are people in Newburgh that need your help and my help. There are people in your workplace that need your help. There are people in your school that need your help. Have you ever stopped to consider, as you go through your day, as you go to work, you wake up in the morning, and you go to work, and you spend a lot of time with those whom you're around, or, or you, you go to school, do you stop to consider the state of that person's relationship with God? Whether they're a friend of God, whether they're an enemy of God, whether they're, they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or whether they're still dead in their sins, do we consider that? Is that even an issue for us? The greatest help they need is to come to know Jesus Christ. And in many times, the only way they're going to come to know Jesus Christ is if we are on mission to share the good news with them. Everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and, Lord, as Lord and Savior is called to the mission. Everyone from the pulpit back is called to that mission to share the good news, to be on mission for God. It's not a mission just for certain Christians. It's a mission for all Christians. God saves us and sends us out into the world so that others can be saved. That's the mission. It's a mission that's worth hurting for and even dying for. Being intentional with sharing the gospel is not only God's vision for Forest Baptist Church, it's God's vision for every single church that assembles in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not a unique vision for Forest Baptist. That's a vision for every church. Contrary to popular belief, God's mission is not to make you happy. I see some people like now, well, well let me pack up, let's go. Don't get me wrong. God does not want his children walking around frowning and complaining and grumbling all the time either. God's mission is not to make us happy, but God's mission does give us joy. The fact that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior should give us joy. We should be able to rejoice as children of God more than anyone else in the world. But God's mission is not to make you happy. God's mission is to help us see the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we would come into a relationship with him by faith and experience true peace, true joy, true contentment, and true love. If God's mission is my happiness, then it becomes all about me. So that's the, that's the problem with God's mission being my happiness. Because it, all, it becomes all about me. Rather than about God and his mission and his glory. It becomes more about my desires. To the point that when I experience pain in my life, I begin to question God's love and his faithfulness. Because I have the mindset that I feel that God's mission is to make me happy. And if I'm, un, if I'm experiencing unhappiness in my life, then that's a declaration that God is, is not loving or he's unfaithful or that he's mad at me in some kind of way. But we have to come to understand that God's mission is not to make us happy. God's mission is to use the church to reach the lost. 
And when the lost are saved, they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, true joy will certainly come as a result of that. Amen? I'm convinced that is why many of our prayers go unanswered, because we're not praying for God's mission to be done. We're praying that our mission be done. We're not saying that specifically, but think about it. When you experience pain, you are before the God in your prayer more than any other time. And when pain is absent, when things are going well, when you're experiencing that high in your life, God don't even hear from us sometimes. But even then, even when we have the mission or think that God's mission is to make us happy, many times our prayers go unanswered because we're not praying about God's mission. What did Jesus pray? He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus Christ set the model, he set the example that God's mission is about reaching the lost. And Jesus Christ is calling each and every one of us, he's calling you and me to pick up our cross and follow him. The question is, are you on mission for God? When you look back over your life, will you be able to see the fruit that came as a result of you being on mission for God? When you look back and you reflect, can you really see anything that's, that's going to last? Will what you're working toward matter to God when he calls you home? Will it even matter? Will the money that you're pursuing, will it really even matter at that point? Will some of our aspirations, will they really matter once God calls us home? Will you be able to look back and say that even though I was hurting and, and, and at times, and even though I had plenty of bad days, that, that you loved God enough that you were on his mission of sharing Jesus Christ to the lost at every opportunity? Is that your mission? Somebody say, well, how, how do you know if you're on mission for God? First of all, you can't be on mission for God if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you haven't accepted the mission that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose again in three days, so that for those who put their faith in him, their, their, their sins would be forgiven. If, if you have not accepted that, then you can't be on mission for God. You can come to church every single Sunday. But if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not a child of God. And you can't be on mission for God. Secondly, we know we can be on mission for God when saving, the saving of a lost soul is more important to you and I than, than our own desires and our own troubles. It, 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 we know that our choir is going through a, a difficult transition at the moment. This is real talk. Right? We know our choir is going through a difficult transition. Praise God for, for Janice and, and the choir for just continuing to persevere and, 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 and praise God and, and just to lead us in worship. I praise God for them. Praise God. I thank God. I thank God in my prayers. But, but it's still a difficult transition because some of us, it, it's, we're not completely satisfied with the service because the music isn't quite what we're used to. And so unless we hear the organ, 
it wasn't a good service? While I understand the importance of the choir, we've lost focus when we spend more time talking about the choir than the two boys, the two men who've been saved in the past two months. We have lost focus when we spend more time trying to figure out what's going to happen with the choir than we can reflect and give God praise for saving Ron and for saving Jared. We lose focus and have lost our focus when we cannot consider and praise God for the fact that he snatched a couple of men from Satan's grasp and have established a relationship with them, we've lost focus. When we spend more time talking about that than we do praising God for two lost souls being saved. We've lost focus. And God is saying, stay focused. Stay focused on the mission. Stay focused on the mission. The choir is not the mission. The choir is part of the mission to participate, but they're not the mission. The saving souls is the mission. If you're not thanking God, if you're not considering the souls that are saved, You've lost focus. You've lost focus. We we can't wait to be on mission when everything in our lives lines up the way that we would like for it because it never will happen. Everything will never be just the way we want it all the time. God uses our broken lives to produce something beautiful when we're willing to be a witness for him. God takes our mess and he just works it and, and comes out with a masterpiece. It's like, man, Michelangelo ain't got nothing on God. Who is Picasso to God? For God is the true artist, able to take that which is messed up and make something beautiful. We see a great church come to life in Philippi because the missionaries answered the call to help. That's what we see in verses 9 and 10. When the vision came for help, the apostles didn't allow their pain keep them from fulfilling the mission. They had experienced a number of troubles and trials. In the first mission, Paul almost got killed. But yet he didn't keep that from hindering him from fulfilling the mission. The book of Acts shows us many many people being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Blood is being shed. But in spite of the blood being shed, the church was experiencing tremendous growth. And it was experiencing tremendous growth because the the Christians were not allowing that. They were not allowing their pain and their heartaches and their struggles to keep them from sharing the good news about a Savior who came and died on the cross. They didn't allow that to interfere with their, their mission. Suffering was and is not a roadblock to the mission of God. It is it is, it is part, that suffering is part of the mission of God. God uses it. He uses our pain to fulfill his mission. We cannot allow our trials and tribulations to keep us from being a witness for Christ. God is trying to help us to see that though we may not always know the reason for our suffering, he lets us know that there is a mission worth dying for. There's something greater worth dying for. And, and you know something, the, in order to truly appreciate 
what is going on in this particular passage, you really need to go back and read the book of Philippians. I encourage you to read the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters. I encourage you to go and read it in one sitting. Read Acts 16 and then read, it, read the book of Philippians. We see the, the, the book of Philippians was written about 10 years after this particular event. There were no Christians in Philippi when Paul came in this particular situation. No Christians. But we see in verses 11 through 15, when they enter into Philippi, and on a Sabbath day, it says in verse 13, they go outside the gate to the riverside where they suppose there was a place of prayer. So Paul and the other missionaries, they're going out and they're looking for a place of prayer. This lets us know that there apparently wasn't a synagogue in the, in the area. They needed 10 Jewish men in order for there to be a synagogue in the area. And, but, but they didn't allow that to stop them. And so they go to prayer and then they find a prayer meeting going on. That's what's going on. They got Lydia and they got some other women there and they're praying before God. Now, they're worshipers of God, but they, they, they haven't accepted Jesus Christ. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. And then Paul comes in and he's intentional with the gospel. And he shares the gospel, the good news to Lydia. Lydia gives her life to the Lord and her household gives their life to the Lord. God is moving. He's doing something. The mission started out well. It started out good, right? There's no conflict. There's no issues. They, they're, they're, they're sharing the good news with Lydia and the others, and, and there's no issues. The mission was going well, but we will, we will soon see that there will be some, some pain that will come. And that's, that's just how life works, right? Just when it seems like you, you take a step forward doing what God wants you to do, it seems like the bottom falls out, Right? Yesterday the sun was shining and, and today a storm appears, right? Just, just when I was getting my prayer on, it just seems like everything started to crumble. Just when I started to read God's word faithfully when I wasn't before, that's when it seems like things start to go south. That's because Satan knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. And so not only does God call us to the mission to help, by sharing the gospel to those who are lost, we must expect some headaches and some heartaches along the way. Expect some headaches and some heartaches along the way. Look at verse 16. We see is they've, they've, they've shared the good news to Lydia and, and everything is good. And then in verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, don't miss this. We see this, this common theme about prayer. So they're going to this place of prayer and they, they meet this, this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Uh, and, and we see that her owners, she had some owners who uh, uh, were benefiting off of what she was doing, making a lot of money. And we see there's some pain and some heartaches that began to come. Trouble is right around the corner. Amen? Again, that's just the way things happen sometimes. In Acts 14, 23, Paul said that we must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. 
So expect the heartaches and the headaches. So this slave girl, she became an obstacle to the mission. She followed Paul and the others around daily, it says. This wasn't just a one-time event. They were going about seeking the lost, sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus Christ. And this, wherever they went, this slave girl was with them. Looking like she was a part, that she was a missionary. She's playing the part. Don't miss it. She's playing the part. She looks like she's a part of the mission, but she's not a part of the mission. And so she, she's following them and she's proclaiming these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. After this goes on for a number of days, Paul becomes a little agitated. He says he becomes, he becomes greatly annoyed and he turns to her and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. So she had this spirit, spirit called python. It's what divination, that word translated into the, the Greek is, is python. And so we see that they become annoyed. And some people say, well, why do they do that? She, she, was, she was helping them. God doesn't want those who are not his to be participating in the mission of sharing the good news. So he wants to quiet the voice of even those who are proclaiming the good news but are not with God, who are not following Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ in the Gospels time and time again. He shuts the mouths up of the demons. Do not allow them to proclaim who he is. And we see the same thing here. Because one minute the demons, one minute Satan is telling you the truth, and then the next minute he's telling you a lie. And so you don't know which one to believe. You're all confused. You're all mixed up. And so Paul did not want and allow them to participate or her to participate in this mission. If, you're, if souls are being saved, you better believe that Satan is going to do everything possible to cause disruption. He's going to do everything he can to cause chaos. He's going to do everything he can to get you to lose focus on the mission. No doubt he took note of Lydia and her family being saved. Because, again, there were no Christians in, in Europe. You know how big Europe is? There were no Christians there. So Satan had this area locked down. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they all come in. Lydia gets saved. Satan starts to get scared, says this is not the way things are supposed to go. So the next time they began to share the gospel, what does he do? He sends someone to begin causing disruption, to get them to lose focus. That's the way Satan works. He simply works in and through people to carry out his mission. That's how he works. But we have to stay focused on the mission. When Satan starts shouting, stay focused on the mission. When trouble comes your way, stay focused on the mission. When people around you start to trip, stay focused on the mission. Don't lose sight of the mission. 
the reason why I like the Navy SEALs. I love looking at the Navy SEALs and looking at stuff about the Navy SEALs because they don't lose focus on the mission. Some people are going to get shot. They stay focused on the mission. They got one mission and one mission alone. And they're expecting to take heat. They're expecting to, re, re, to experience resistance. They're expecting it. But they don't lose focus on the mission. They don't allow pain and resistance and struggles keep them from fulfilling the mission. The missionaries knew they weren't fighting against flesh and blood. They knew the real problem wasn't the girl. It was the demon in the girl. And too many times we're sitting there fighting and fussing with each other. The real problem is not us. The real problem is Satan working through and in the situations to cause chaos and struggle. In verse 16, again, we see this common theme about prayer. Praying when times were good, when, 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 when they were with Lydia and they, and they were praying right before a storm was brewing. We ought to pray without ceasing. You don't know when trouble is at your door, but if you're praying to God without ceasing, you don't have to worry about what is at your door because you know that God is in the house. It doesn't matter what trouble is at your door if you're praying without ceasing in good times and in bad times because you know that God is with you. You can trust that if God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, Surely he loves you. Surely he's going to take care of you. Surely he has your best interest in mind. He will not send his son, Jesus Christ. And you put your faith in him. And God go back on his promises. That's not God. So if trouble comes your way, you don't have to fear. Because we know that God is with us. If Jesus can cause a storm to be still, what is a little trouble to God but a platform to show how great he is? It's simply a platform. Look at verse 19. We see they, they cast out the demons, which, which isn't the biggest problem, but it, beca it becomes a, a major problem. Because those who have a vested interest in her, they just lost their income. And anytime you mess with somebody's money, then it becomes a problem, right? Everything is good until you mess with my money, right? Y'all know how we get sometimes. Everything is okay, just don't mess with my money. And so we see this happening here. We see they, in verse 19, the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and, and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace. When they brought them to the magistrates, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. In verse 22, we see the crowd joins into the attacking them. And what happens? They tore the garments off of Paul and Silas, stripped them of their clothes. And then they gave orders to beat them with rods. This, this hurts more than, more than you and I could even know. Beat them with rods. And then in verse 23, it says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. It looked like Satan had won, right? It looked like Satan, because Satan had them just where he wanted them, except for dead. He had them close. He, 
He had them beaten. He had them right where he wanted them. But God is doing something. Satan, Satan thought he had won, but God is doing something. Satan has them right where he wants them, but, but God is doing something. Satan thinks that he's got them discouraged and, and locked up and, and hinders the mission from going forward, but, but God is doing something here. I hope you see it. God is doing something. This is exactly where God wanted them to be. God uses our pain to position us to be witnesses for him and to glorify him. He uses our pain to position us to be witnesses for him. When you find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be in, trust God. Satan may have a hand in it, but God gets the last laugh. Satan may be working, but God uses Satan even, even to fulfill his mission. He's, 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 he's just a pawn. And so we see God gets the last laugh. It's just like Joseph being sold into slavery. His brother sold him into slavery. He was in slavery for a number of years. He was supposed to be the ruler. Things weren't looking so good. But God had him right where he wanted him to be. And we see that he became king or he became second in command in Egypt. With, he had authority that was, was unbelievable. He meant it for harm, but God intended it for good. Why? So that many would be saved. That's why. Sometimes God has to put us in the hospitals because those in the hospitals won't come to church. Sometimes God has to, ha, has to have our car break down because those in the shop won't come to the, to the church. There are some in hip-hop that won't come to church, so God saved some rappers, and he put them in hip-hop. And he said, go save some. God is calling us. He's, he's saving us, and he's sending us out. That's the mission. And he uses our pain. He uses our troubles. He uses our suffering in order to do that. The missionaries were hurting. I mean, they had just been, if not, certainly they were hurting physically, but Think about emotionally. I mean, in the, in, the, in the middle of everyone being beaten, y'all know how it was when, when your mom or your dad used to beat you. You didn't want nobody to see you. You didn't want no friends to see you getting beat. Wait till you get at home, right? So just think, with rods being beaten, with clothes off, and over and over again, we see this, this common theme of, of abuse and persecution. They were put in prison. If, that wasn't, if it wasn't bad enough to be beaten, they were put into prison. For many of us, like myself, being put in prison would have been enough. That, that, would have, that, enough, that would have been enough, right? And they put their feet in these stocks, and these stocks were not very comfortable. It was situated in such a way... Where you sit up against the wall, you're chained, and, and it was very uncomfortable. Um, and we see what happens here in verse 24. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison.
prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They, they put them in the inner cell. Now pay attention to what God is doing. Satan thinks, again, he has them. He's, he's inflicted much pain, caused much trouble, brought a lot of suffering in their life. And he figures, look, this is it. I got them right where I want them. But God has some of his best men on the mission. He knows the faith of Paul and Silas. And he's like, I need men who, regardless of what happens, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Because they believe and they trust in me. And so he, he has them, God, they, they put them in the middle because maybe they figured that it's more secure there. But, but God says, that's exactly where I want them, right in the middle for all to see and to hear them witness and give testimony. He puts them in the spot where they can witness the most. And if you're on mission for God, he will turn your pain into gain. And that's exactly what God is getting ready to do. Not only does he call us to be on mission for him, we have to expect some headaches and some heartaches. And if we do that, we know that, and we can be confident that God is going to, going to, take our, going to make our, our gain from our pain. And so we see that in verse 25 through 28, we see about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Do you, wait a minute. <laughs> this, just, this just does not make any sense. They're, they're beaten, clothes off, um, fastened, stocks. I mean, a crowd just about killed them. It's midnight. Paul and Silas are, are sleeping. No, no, that, that's not it. Paul and Silas are panicking. That, that's not it. Paul and Silas are arguing with each other. No, that's not it. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns at midnight with their feet in the stocks. I mean, this just cracks me up because they know God is at work. They were praying and praising God. God had placed a two-man choir in the middle of the jail. And they didn't even know it. Satan thinks he had them. But God had them right where he wanted them. God had placed them right there. And, and we see that prayer again. We saw it, we see it in, in, in verse 25. We, we saw it in verse 13. We saw it in, in verse 16. Prayer, prayer, praying without ceasing. Praying in the good times, praying before the storm, praying while they're in the storm. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but if you're praying just when, when things are not well, then you, your prayer life is not what it should be. Pray when the good is there, pray in, in, the, in the bad, and pray in every season, pray all the time. And that's what we see is happening. They were singing hymns to God, and, and, and the prisoners are there just like, what is going on here? They're, they're hearing the hymns being sung, and, and you know, that is, they, they weren't singing to the prisoners, they were singing to Almighty God. They were giving God praise and thanksgiving. They hadn't lost focus of the mission. Even though they were in prison, they didn't lose focus of the mission. 
And they knew that regardless of where they were and what the situation was, God was calling them to give God praise and to give him thanksgiving. I can imagine they were thanking God for saving Lydia. They may have been a little discouraged and asking God to not allow them to, 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 to grow weak and to be bold and to be firm and to be faithful. I can imagine they're praying to God and they're singing songs to God. We see, we see something that's truly amazing. And, and then we see something else take place when they're, they're praying and they're praising. And in verse 26, suddenly there's a great earthquake that comes. But this is not just any earthquake because the earthquake didn't cause the walls to come down and for people to be killed. It shook the foundations a little bit and broke their chains free. So that's an intelligent earthquake. Right? That's an intelligent earthquake. It's not just any type of chaotic earthquake. I like what A.B. Simpson said. He says that the earthquake was indeed a grand encore to their song of praise. I like that. When you praise God and there are great crowds of, of witnesses in heaven praising God with you through the good and the bad and they're saying, hold on, don't give up. Hang in there. God is with you. He's faithful. Stay on mission. Don't give up. There's a great cloud of witnesses that are with you. And we see, if that wasn't amazing enough, that they're, that they're praying and they're praising after getting beat down and being in prison, something even more, I think, amazing happens because we see in verse 27, the jailer wakes up uh, and he, he's about ready to kill himself. We'll go into that in a little bit, but but we see Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. So the, the jail is open, it's broken. Paul and Silas could have made their escape. If all they were thinking about was their deliverance, they would have been gone. How often do we pray and the only thing we're concerned about is us being delivered from our pain, from our struggles? but we're not concerned about others being delivered from their sin so that they would come to know Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas, even though chains are broken, they stay put. Many of you all would have been gone. God has delivered me. Praise the Lord. You and me both probably. But we see we see the heart of Paul and Silas. We see their love. Because they understood that if we flee, if the prisoners go, this Roman jailer certainly is going to die. He was about ready to commit suicide because he knew that under Roman law, you were guilty or going to be convicted or, or tried or punished in the same way of anyone who got free on your watch. So you got a number of, of criminals in there, except for Paul and Silas, but they're criminals to them. And if they had all gotten loose, he would have had the same fate as they were going to get. 
And, and so they have this great concern, so much concern for the loss. In spite of their pain and their suffering, in spite of the fact that they could have left, have so much concern that they said, look, we, we, we're going to stay. We're here. They yelled to the jailer, don't kill yourself. We're here. And how much of a relief could have probably been to that jailer that they, didn't, that they were there? How much of a relief it was. Why didn't Paul and Silas flee? Paul and Silas didn't flee because they weren't the ones who were in jail. Some of you caught it. They were in jail, but they weren't in jail. Paul and Silas knew that they were free in Christ Jesus. No jail, no prison could have held them back. And so they weren't as concerned about getting out. So they weren't so eager to get out because they knew they weren't the one in jail. The jailer was the one who was in jail. He was the one in prison because he didn't know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ, has not given their life to Jesus Christ, you're in jail. But there's good news because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to free you from the bondage of sin, to set the captives free. That's the mission. That's why they didn't flee. They knew that the jailer needed more help than they did. And that's the mindset we have to have at times. I know we're hurting at times. I know we're struggling. But if you're in Christ, there's someone who needs greater help than you do. There's going to be a time when there will be no more pain for those who are in Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, there will be unceasing pain. There will be unceasing anguish. There will be no grace, no common grace. There will be no love, no mercy of God. There will be no light. There will just be darkness. And so they knew this jailer needed our help more than we need his help. And so the jailer, what, is, what happens? He, he comes, he sees this, all this taking place. He, he sees the praying and the praising. He, sees the, he experiences this earthquake, and yet the, the Christians are still there. The jailers even are still there, the prisoners. And, and what happens? That's when God moved in his heart. In verse 30, it says, what must I do to be saved? That's the, that's the greatest question and the most important question anyone could ever ask. It's not, what am I going to do with, at, what, for my career? It's not, how much money can I make? It's none of those things. That's not the greatest question. The greatest question is, what must I do to be saved? And we see that God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who know they need God's help. So when we hear that God helps those who help themselves, I understand it, it sounds good, but we see God helps those who know they need his help. And this jailer understood that he needed, at that moment, God's help. And fortunately for him, God had had transplanted a couple of missionaries in the prison to share the gospel with him that day. When he woke up, he didn't know he was going to be saved. When he woke up that morning, he, he was just going to work, didn't know he was going to encounter God. 
didn't know his life would be changed forever from that point forward. And so we see what happens. He, he, he comes and, and, and Paul and Silas, they share the gospel. They say what he needs to do. They, they tell him that believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the key to salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection and you will be saved. It's not you might be saved. It's possible that you will be saved. It says that you will be saved. Believe, not work for salvation. It says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the the son of the living God, God Almighty, the, the one who created the heavens and the earth. He says believe in Jesus Christ, the one who put flesh on and and walk this dusty road and and died on the cross. He says, believe in him and you will be saved. The jailer goes from the lowest low to the highest high. One minute he's about ready to kill himself and the next minute he's receiving eternal life. Talk about the two extremes. From one extreme to the next. And many of you here are witnesses of, of the extreme. You know where you once were. And now you can look at where God has you and be like, man, praise God for what he's done. And we see in verse 35 and 36, mission accomplished. <laughs> Mission's accomplished. Satan thought he had him, put him in jail. I'm like, man, they everywhere I put them, they're saving souls. In spite of pain, again, catch it, in spite of hurt, in spite of suffering, God used their pain to reach the lost. All this took place because Paul and Silas were able to look beyond their pain to the greater need of helping someone know Jesus. I'm here to tell you there's gain through your pain when you're faithful to God's mission. I'm not sure what you've been struggling with, whether it's been marriage, job loss, financial issues, rejection, Identity issues, depression. Don't allow it to keep you from the mission God has called you. I'm not saying to ignore or pretend the pain isn't there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that trust that God's grace is sufficient and he'll take care of it. When I was younger, probably about five to seven years of age, uh, my dad was laid off from Ford. At that time, my family went from a two-income family to a one-income family. Uh, used to having certain things. and uh, So all of a sudden, when things are going well, uh, he gets laid off, and, and it hurt the family financially. Though at the age I was at, I didn't quite understand it. Right? Too young to understand, but I, I understood that that situation still, sticks with me today, specifically how my dad responded to the pain that they were experiencing. I, I, I gained a great deal of, uh, of, of respect and a great deal from the way he responded during that time. He, he didn't sit down and complain, but he took his truck and he started hauling cardboard every single day. And a number of those days, I would go with him. And it wasn't the most glamorous job because 
where we were going, our spots were dumpsters. And so I was with him. And, and at the time, five and seven, you don't, you're not thinking about that stuff. You're just like, man, I'm riding in the truck, everything's, you know, good. We're going to get White Castles afterwards, you know, we're, I'm good. I wasn't, you know. But now when I look back and I see that he went from being an assembly line worker at four to going through dumpsters to get cardboard, also that he could put, bring in some additional income. Although he had worked, he wasn't too proud to get his hands dirty so that we could have what we needed. It was no, I can't do this because I'm already used to this particular income or I've got this degree or whatever the case may be. That's sometimes how we can get, right? Some of us don't want to work at a hamburger joint because it's a, it's a problem with our image. It's going to hurt our image more than we do sitting at home. I don't know. So he continued to work, and that stuck with me because it, it, it helped me to see that regardless of what happens, as a man, you to take care of doing what you need to do. He didn't, my dad didn't see going through dumpsters as being beneath him because he loved his family. It was not a good time for my parents, but, but I was blessed because of their response to the pain. And so I hope you, you see what I'm going here in that though we go through pain, there's benefit from our pain. It's a very small reflection of the mission of Jesus Christ to save sinners. Though he is God, what Paul declared to those in Philippi, though he was God, though he is God, it says that he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp onto. So what does that mean? It says that even though Jesus Christ was God, he did not consider the fact that he was God something to bring up as a reason not to bring salvation. But yet he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and he became a man. And just like my dad who was in the dumpster, Jesus Christ, God himself, almighty, the one who's on the throne, took on the flesh and he got in the dumpster with us. He came down and said, I'm going to get into the dumpster with you. The only difference is I'm not going to get dirty. Sin is not going to influence or impact me, but I'm going to be in your world. I know what it means to, to go through pain and suffering. I know what it means to not have a place to lay your head. I know what it means to be rejected and to experience shame. I know what it means to be misunderstood. I know what it means because I've, I've been in the dumpster with you. But praise God, he, he was spit on and treated worse than a criminal. He shed his blood on the cross for you and me, he experienced pain so that the pain we experience now, we will not experience always. He took three nails and they put a crown on his head and he experienced the rejection and the shame. He experienced the, the shame that we should have experienced. He experienced the, the wrath of God that we should have experienced so that we can have hope and rejoice even in the midst of our pain and so that we can hold true to the mission to seek the lost, 
even when we're in pain because we know that there's something greater that's going to take place. We know that he's going to prepare a place for us. And we know that one day there will be no more aches, there will be no more arthritis, there will be no more struggling, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more issues that we deal with. Because he got up on that third day, you and I can rejoice even in our pain because we know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. They're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in those who put their faith in him. Praise God for for pain. It's not good. We would rather do without it. But I pray that you will see that you can persevere and that God is doing something great. He can do something great through your struggles and through your pain and through your issues. You would just trust in it. And so that when you experience pain, we don't always come to doubt or question God's faithfulness or his love. And when we start doing that, just look to the cross. Look to the cross. That is God's answer to whether he loves us. And that's a constant reminder that he's still with us. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, uh, truly, Lord, you are amazing beyond comprehension. The things you do and how you do it, how you can, Lord, work through our brokenness to bring reconciliation of sinners to you. How you can reconcile us, Lord God, to you. And so, Father, we we just thank you. Thank you, Father, that we can have hope even in the midst of our pain. And that you, Lord God, have given a promise that can never and that never will change for those who are in Jesus Christ. And that promise is that we would experience eternal life with you far beyond any pain, to experience joy, to experience peace, and to experience uh, just your presence that is beyond what we can imagine. Thank you, Father, for saving us, for you being on mission to pursue us, for you not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, that when we weren't pursuing you, just as the jailer wasn't, you pursued us. You chose us. Praise your name, for you are good. I thank you and I praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.